Open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 14. We've got a long section of Scripture this morning, Romans 14, 1 through chapter 15, verse 7. And the reason I'm picking such a long chapter is that's the way it's written. It, uh, and I'll show you that it starts and it concludes, doesn't conclude until chapter, seven, uh, chapter 15, verse 7. It's a passage about uh, disagreements, and a lot of people have made it controversial, and um, it shouldn't be controversial. The passage is written to stop the controversies, not uh, to create them. So I, I'm hoping this morning that we, we get it the way it was meant to be gotten. Um, how many of you have had disagreements with somebody? How many of you have been married? How many of you had a brother? How many of you had a sister? How many of you had a parent? How many of you had a friend, a roommate? We all disagree at some point with someone about something. Um, it's going to happen. We're going to have disagreements. How do you get along with the people you disagree with? Do you just walk away? Do you split? Go somewhere else? Join a different group? Or do you learn how to welcome and love and accept? I'm going to give you two messages, Lord willing, out of this passage. So this morning I want to kind of do the overview. So we see the main point. But next week, Lord willing, I want to give you nine guidelines for what to do anytime disagreements arise between you and another brother and sister in Christ so that you know how to respond rightly. Uh, and that uh, next week uh, is when I'll probably do more verse by verse uh, through this passage. This morning, just, just try to, to take in the main point that's going on here, and that is how to welcome and love those that are weak and strong alike, those that are different from us. Um, the goal is verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, those are things they disagreed about, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually, he didn't mention all the dimensions in this passage in that one verse. But there were disagreements over whether you should eat meat or not eat meat, whether you should drink wine or not drink wine, whether you should uh, celebrate feast days or not celebrate feast days. And he says, that's not the point. Verse 17 says, that's not the point. And a lot of people, when they get into this passage of Scripture, want to make that the point. It's not the point. He says, the point is that we end up understanding righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That we're together at peace. That we have joy. We're not just together and miserable. We have joy in the Holy Spirit. That we understand the righteousness that's ours through God. That's the point. And we tend to make our disagreements the point when they're not the point. I want to hopefully get us back to a place of peace and joy and righteousness uh, in the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's where we're going this morning. That's the main point. If you come away with that, you got it. Um, don't let people drag you into controversies. And I don't think he ha has an exhaustive list here when he mentions meat and drinking and days. Uh, those are illustrations and examples that he brings up that they're dealing with. We may be dealing with the same ones, but there are other disagreements we deal with as well. Let's, uh, first of all, just look at the categories that are presented here. They're kind of interesting. God presents the category of a weak person in the faith and a person who is 
strong in the faith. Why does he do that? I mean, that in itself seems controversial. To call somebody weak? Call another person strong? Uh, And yet, those categories work when you understand what's going on here. First of all, let's go back and see where did we come from? You remember chapter 13? Let's just do the last two verses, 13. Uh, He concludes that chapter. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So he's talking about people who've come out of sin into a life with Christ, put off that life of sin, put on Jesus Christ. That's how he's concluded. It would make sense then to talk about disagreements. Why? Because we don't put off and put on at the same rate. It makes sense that somebody like me who's been struggling with, say, quarreling or jealousy, and I've been struggling with it 40-some years, that I'm a different place in that struggle than somebody who's only been struggling one or two years. So this, this constant putting off and putting on. And when you do that, and you realize sanctification has a process. I start struggling to be more and more like Christ, and I become more and more like Christ as the Spirit works on me, as this Word gets richly deep in me. That changes me, and it changes everyone else. So I get to a place where I look back and say, oh, that was stupid. How, why did I ever do that? And then I see you're doing it. You're stupid. Whoa, 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 whoa. God said, whoa, hold on. That's, that's not going to work. You've got to welcome and accept the person who's weak. They've got to accept and welcome the person who's strong so that y'all can live together. You can't start condemning one another with condescending words. You're stupid and dumb and you just don't get it yet or whatever. That's easy for us to do, but not what God wants us to do, which is why chapter 14 comes into play. Verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, he's not calling him an unbeliever, he's in faith. Weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarreling. See, you're supposed to put off quarrels. Don't, if you're strong, you shouldn't be a quarrelsome person, period. I'm not asking you to quarrel over their opinions. That's where he's, he's taking us. I want you, what's the main point there? I want you to welcome him. Then notice chapter 15, verse 7, you see a conclusion. Therefore, welcome. See, that's why I said the, the, the argument goes all the way to there. Chapter 15, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So God wants us to learn to welcome one another, not to bring one another down. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose you have two brothers, about the same age, and uh, they share the same room, same bedroom. And mom or dad comes in, lays down the law. This room will be inspected at 5.30 Sunday night, and it better be right, okay? And it's Friday. So you've got from Friday to Sunday night at 5.30 to get this room inspection proof. And the parent leaves. 
Now, you've got two brothers, two different individuals. What does one say? Okay, let's get going. Let's get this done. Let's knock it out. The other one says, no, 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 look around. We can easily do this in 30 minutes. we got stuff to do. Let's just come make a promise. We'll come back at 5 o'clock on Sunday night, and we'll knock this out by 5.30. And you're going to have disagreements, right? Those are fighting words right there. Because somebody's reputation and responsibility is on the line. And one brother says, to be responsible, to have a good reputation, we need to start now. We don't know what's going to come up. The other brother is saying, but it'll get dirty again. Let's just don't let it get dirty again. Let's just wait and start at 5 o'clock on Sunday. And God is saying, hey, 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 hold it. Dial it back. One of you may be more responsible than the other. Doesn't matter. If you consider one weak, if you consider one strong, y'all need to learn how to agree, how to welcome one another and work through this, not constantly arguing with one another in condescending ways. God gives us categories of weak and strong. Why? Simple. The reason for the categories is to move us to love and peace. He's trying to get us out of the quarrel. Recognize y'all are different. Yes, recognize you disagree because you are different. Accept one another with disagreements. He doesn't say accept one another once you agree. I want you to learn to accept one another while you're still weak and while you're still strong, while you disagree, not while you agree. Disagreements between Christians are obvious. Now, I want you to see when disagreements arise, one person probably most of the time may have an absolute truth for what they believe, and the other believer really just has an opinion about it. And that's why the disagreements are occurring. Notice verse 1 of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. The word opinions is in the text. Some uh, of your translations may say over matters of conscience. So don't quarrel over these things that are in your head. Things you think. Things you have opinions about. Uh, and the church has disagreed over things people have opinions about all of its history. God said, I don't want you to quarrel over those things. And man, the church has really struggled in the last couple of years over opinions, don't, haven't we? We've got opinions about the efficacy of masks and vaccinations and lockdowns. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And somebody believes they have absolute factual data that's infallible and inerrant. And another one says, well, I haven't had time to do all that research, but my conscience tells me this is the way to go, and if I go any other way, I'm violating my conscience. So it's a matter of conscience, it's a matter of absolute truth, and there's disagreements. God is saying, you can agree. You don't have to, you don't have to quarrel. You can work this out. And that's why the passage is here. And it's so, so helpful for us and fruitful for us. Uh, so I hope you begin to, to see what's going on here. Now, 
I'll share some of my frustrations with you. We know uh, one of the issues here is uh, eating meat. I don't care which issue you pick. You can pick the efficacy of masks, okay? I'm one of these individuals that whatever issue you pick, I'm going to read the Bible from this page to this page, and I'm going to write down everywhere that subject comes up. And I'm going to thoroughly research it. And I'm going to determine God's absolute will on the matter. And once I determine it, then I'm ready to fight. And I get frustrated if you don't want to fight too. Okay? That's where I'm at. So let's, let's just pick that subject. That's, where I, that's, how I get, that's how I dial it in. That's how I get frustrated. Um, so verse 14 and six, through 16 says this. Paul says he's that same way. Verse 14 says, I know. You ever heard somebody? I know this. I'm persuaded. This is Paul. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. I don't just know and I'm not just persuaded. Jesus told me, okay, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Think about that a minute. It's not unclean. Absolute truth. But if you have a matter of conscience, if your opinion, your thoughts lead you to believe it's unclean, it's unclean for you. He says, there's two sides. And I want you to see those two sides can coexist. Uh, Verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let uh, what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. That just seems controversial. So hang with me. In other words, my job, if I know it is absolute truth and good to eat meat, nothing wrong with it. God says, commands me, don't let somebody tell you otherwise. You know the absolute truth. And yet there are other people who have this matter of conscience, it will not be good for me. And I'm convinced it won't be good for me. So how do you get along with one another? Well, first of all, understand the absolute truth principle or it wouldn't be here in the text. God wants us to know there is a place that he's taken us to. Obviously, his absolute will. Look at Genesis chapter uh, 9, verse 6. Right after the flood, God makes this pronouncement about me. So, you know, if you start at the front of the Bible and you start reading and say, I want to figure out what's God's will on this subject that we have this controversy on, this is one of the places you come to. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 9 verse 3 I'm trying to find the verse there it is verse 3 every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and as I gave you the green plants I give you everything and he says okay I gave you the green plants for food I give you every moving creature for food Both are given to you as food. Uh, Mark chapter 7 says that Jesus himself makes this declaration. Maybe this is where um, Paul was at in Romans 14. He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Maybe he's going back to Jesus' statement here in Mark chapter 7. Um, Mark chapter 7, about halfway through verse 18 says... Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, 
since it enters his heart, not his stomach, and it is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. So maybe Paul's going to that verse and saying, Jesus himself told me all of this food is clean. You could go to other places. 1 Timothy 4, verse 4 and 5 says, everything God has created is good, and it's wrong for us to call it otherwise than good. Rather, our job is to sanctify the eating and drinking that God has given us through the Word of God and through prayer. So that's, that's how I function. I, I go through the Scripture like that and say, what does God absolutely say is the truth on a matter? But see, it didn't help me. Because I get back in Romans 14, God says, but there's still people who disagree with you. And your job is to get along. Your job is not to be condescending. Your job is not to push your point. Your job is not to push them out or push them away. Your job is to welcome them and to love them. And y'all's job together is to be together in peace and in joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's where God wants us to be. Um, and think about the righteousness. The righteousness, the joy, and the peace that's in this passage needs to be defined in this context. But a lot of times we, we think it's our works that are making us better, stronger, more righteous. So let's stop just to remind ourselves that's not the case. Look at Titus chapter 3. I love this just summary of our salvation uh, because it's so, so succinct. Titus chapter uh, 3, verse 4 and 5 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. What a great uh, kind of Advent Christmas uh, text. When God appeared, when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of, of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We've all needed to be washed. We've all needed to be cleansed. We always need that. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. Our righteousness is given to us. It's poured out on us through the Holy Spirit, giving us the righteousness of Christ. We don't earn it. We don't work it up. It's purely a gracious gift to us. Now we need to remember that when we go to how do I accept one another? Because when I start thinking about how do I accept you and I know, I know, I know you disagree with me. I've got to start thinking how does this person become righteous? And the answer is the same way I did. They're righteous in Christ. They are someone for whom Christ died. They're someone the Holy Spirit poured over and washed and cleansed through the blood of Christ. They have been richly gifted by Christ. Who am I to treat them poorly? Who are they to treat me poorly? So you think about the righteousness is really the foundation for the peace and the joy that he's arguing for in this text. It's a right view of us ourselves. And it's okay to understand that a right view of ourselves can include the categories of weak and strong. Some of us are weak. Don't forget the phrase weak. God's term, not mine. Like I said, to me it's controversial, but God uses it. But it helps us to see 
I want you to welcome the one who is weak. He didn't say, I want you to welcome the one who is sinful. Sinful and weak are not the same thing. I want you to welcome the one who is weak. They're just not where you are yet. And I want you to welcome the one also that's strong. It goes the other way. They're not where you are yet. But he's not saying you have to wrestle with accepting terrible sinners. They're in the process of putting off the sin, and they're putting on Christ. That's a good thing. Those are people to be applauded. Those are your heroes. Those are people you need to, to, to accept and welcome. Because they put, they're putting off sin. Yes, they're a sinner, but they're putting off sin. They're just maybe not be doing it as strongly as you are right now. Or they didn't start when you started. And so y'all are at different places on God's spectrum of growing His church. Um, that's the context of what's going on. And as a result of that, um, many disagreements, because we don't get it, many disagreements have happened. I mean, I've seen it in my lifetime. Probably most of you have seen it in your lifetime. You get two strong Christians disagreeing. One has these opinions. Their conscience will be violated if they don't do it one way. The other has what he's considered makes the argument and writes the papers for absolute truth. And when they can't agree, what do they do? Instead of starting with the righteousness of Christ and, and moving towards peace and joy, they say, well, I'll, I'll just go start another church. We don't agree. I'll just leave. I'll go join a different denomination. Maybe they'll be more aligned with me. And this passage is writing against that. No. Nowhere do you get a hint. Y'all just need to separate. Y'all just need to divorce. Y'all need to go opposite ways. The passage strongly says, no, 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 I want you to get back together. I want you to live. That's why I'm going to give you nine guidelines. How to do that next week. But I want you to wrestle with the main point. It's not division, it's unity. It's staying together as God wants us to. God uh, wants us to receive one another. Look, look, four times he repeats it. Verse 1, I'm going to read them all four for you. Verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Don't quarrel. Welcome him. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. It goes both ways. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Main point again. Want you to welcome him. God has welcomed him. Um, verse 10 through 13. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? You see, this should not be heaven. Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. The goal is that we welcome them, not push them out. Here's the main point. No one for whom Christ died should ever think or feel as though they are unwelcomed by the church of Christ. 
or unaccepted. Has anyone ever felt unaccepted? I have. Anyone ever felt unwelcomed? I have. Is there anyone not in that category? See, that's why this is a big point. No one for whom Christ died, if Jesus has given you His righteousness, if He's cleansed you by His blood, if He died on the cross for you, you should never think of yourself or even feel as though you are unwelcomed or unaccepted by His church. That's His point. He says, I want my church to welcome my church. I want my church to think of themselves as one in Christ. Not divided. Not quarrelsome. Not splitting and divorcing. But determined even though they disagree. And one has absolute truth and one has relative opinion. Even though it's that stark in contrast. I don't want either party to ever feel unaccepted or unwelcomed in the church of Christ. We need that, don't we? And you can look at the history of the Christian church and see the church has missed it over and over and over again, especially since the Reformation. And we split and splintered into 100,000 denominations and churches across our globe over disagreements. And God is calling us back to a place where we welcome and accept one another instead of looking at one another as though they are unclean and not to be touched. Look at uh, chapter 14, verse 20. It says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. What's the work? The work here is sanctification. The work is building up the church. We started with the doctrine of sanctification in chapter 13, the last two verses. He's going into how that works out. He says, don't let your arguments destroy the work of God. The work of God is building up His church. So how could you possibly let your arguments bring that down? That's not where He wants us to go. Look at chapter 15, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's where he wants us to be. And the person you're pleasing is the neighbor you disagree with. I want you to learn how to go to that person you disagree with and do something that pleases them. And do something that builds them up. Because I know you're sitting at home and you're tearing them down. You're building your arguments and you're making your plan for disagreement. And God said, that's not where I want you. I want you to make a plan for pleasing one another and building one another up. Otherwise, you're destroying the work that I came to do to build and raise up my church. Do we get that? Do we see the significance of that? Um, so that we don't belittle, we don't condemn, 
we really seek to be edifiers, builders that are always strengthening the church. In the faith, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in the faith, so I don't want you to accept them. He didn't say he wanted you to violate your conscience, to violate your principles, but I do want you to accept them. He wants us to be strong. Verse 14, again, I know I'm persuaded. Nothing's unclean. It's unclean for anyone who thinks himself unclean. Uh, verse 23 says, Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He's dealing with um, a situation in Rome that is different from our situation. Let's clear that up a minute because people want to make this so controversial. And they want to teach you that what Romans 14 is about is causing brothers to stumble. I haven't really used stumbling that much. It's not really the main point. You can cause people to stumble. But that's not the main point. But I've been taught, you may have been taught, what Romans 14 is about is it's telling you you could be out at one of our nice Anderson restaurants and you could be eating and drinking. I was out last night. Some of the folks here, they're witnesses. And I had a glass of wine, okay? And what Romans 14 is telling you, some people will say, you go into that restaurant and you go, oh my word, the preacher is drinking a glass of wine. I'm going to go home and be an alcoholic for the rest of my life because he caused me to stumble. I have never once known that to happen. And yet that's the way it's preached. That you're going to stumble and become an alcoholic lifelong and go to hell because you saw me. And today you might not even see me at the restaurant. You just see me on Instagram. And you're going to stumble. You see, it missed the whole point of us welcoming one another and talking with one another and loving one another that's in the passage. That's not what was going on in Romans. What's going on, and we can get to it more next week. Look over at 1 Corinthians. It's, Corinthians um, gives you a better picture of what was going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 gives you, gives you the, the kind of picture that was happening. I'll, I'll just try to describe it quickly. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 10 says, If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, not one of our restaurants, but an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Now that's what was going on. Let me explain that to you a minute. They were living in a time where people still offered animal sacrifices to their gods, to appease their gods, to keep the god from being wrathful and vengeful. Uh, and they needed to offer these sacrifices to have prosperity. And so they would do this frequently. And not only the people of God, but the people of idols would do this. Now, what kind of animal sacrifice do you make to your god? 
the best. It's an animal without blemish. What happens after you offer the animal? What happens to the meat? You get to eat the meat. And that's the best meat going because it's without blemish. It's the best. And so many times in cities, that's where the best eating was done. That was the restaurant. That was, the temple was the restaurant. So you see somebody going into a temple and it's talking about the person who is still, says it's too soon, he's still too weak, he still has doubts and his conscience is bothering him already. So you're going to say, you're going into this temple, you know, you're a Christian, you say, I know those are vain, vain idols, but that's the, best, that's the best meal around, let's go over there and get some food. And so you're over there, and as you go in, you, you see a, a Christian brother. Hey, hey, John, John just got saved last week. And you don't really know too much about John. You just know he just got saved. You don't know that he used to be a servant in that temple. You say, hey, John, come eat with us. Come on. No, 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 I, I probably shouldn't. No, come on, John, come on, come on. And that's causing him to stumble. You're luring him in. Come on, come on, come on. And you get him there, and y'all start eating, and he can't stop thinking, because it's been so soon, about how he used to worship in this place and give this food this up to his vain idol in prayer and service. And what should you do at that point when you realize that's happened? You should say, John, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's too soon. It's too soon. I messed up. I'll never eat meat again if that, to do this. This is terrible. I've, I've brought all of these evil thoughts and things back to you. When it was way too soon. You weren't strong in the faith. You couldn't handle this. And I was so stupid not to recognize it and see it. And I've encouraged you to do what's just violated your conscience. And you see how the context is really dealing. I, I, I want to build you up. I don't want to tear you down. That's what they were dealing with. That's the real context of how do we build up the body of Christ. And not tear down. How do we get us all to a, a stronger place, not a weaker place, without violating one another's conscience? Um, let's embrace one another. If they're weak, let's embrace them as weak and see how we can make them strong. If they're strong, let's embrace them as strong and see how we can keep them from being prideful and know-it-alls and condemning. How we can encourage and build them up. Well, that's the Romans 14, 15 passage. The problem's not about eating. It's not about drinking. I didn't mention the days. Down in verse 5 of four, chapter 14, one person thinks one day is better than another, while others esteem all days alike. They had a lot of feast days they were coming out of in the Old Testament. They called a lot of them Sabbath days, even though it wasn't the Lord's day, the one Sabbath, but there were other Sabbaths they had. It's kind of like what we did a few years ago, and we wanted to do some more until COVID hit. It's our new life celebration. That's a feast day for us. And there were people who would say, that's good, and other people say, that's bad. And he says, it's not about that, arguing over days. It's not about arguing over food and drink. It's about accepting and loving one another right where you are. And no person should ever feel unaccepted. You know, I, I tell people who join our church, 
I said, what I want you to do when you, you meet with the elders, I want you to just give a testimony of what God has done. I said, I don't really need to know what you've done. I just need your test, you're testifying to what God has done. And what I want to hear is that God has loved you. That's your testimony. How has God loved you? How has God changed you? And that's all you got to do. You don't, there's no performance. You tell me how God has loved you. When did God first open his arms and welcome you and receive you into his family? And then I say this. So after you give me that testimony, I want you to know this. If I don't open my arms and receive you, I would be sinning. If God has accepted you, I must accept you. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're fathers, mothers, family, together in Christ. We're one how could we not accept what Christ gave his blood to start building and raising up? I said, no one should ever feel unaccepted and unloved in the body of Christ if Christ has died for you. I heard the story of a young kid. Parents were gone, left him at home alone. He found... He was sitting in, in the den watching TV or playing one of his games and a squirrel hit the screen door. And he thought how cool it would be to shoot that squirrel. And he didn't think about anything else. He was not a shooter, he, but he found a gun, comes back to the den, and he didn't think about scaring the squirrel at first, then shooting him in the yard. It'd be cool. Let's just shoot him through the screen. So he shoots at the squirrel, misses the squirrel, but the bullet goes through the door. And then it crosses the yard and goes into the neighbor's fence. And then it crosses through the fence and in through the neighbor's window and ends up in the neighbor's recliner and shattered it. Thankfully, the neighbor was not in the recliner. Terrible, immature, Action. Weak. When I heard the story, what did the parents do? They said, well, the parents took part of that fence that was blown up, part of that recliner, and they put it in the son's room so we'd always see it. And they didn't repair the screen door so he would always see it. And I said, okay. And I thought, how long? Because it bothers me. At some point, I said, I understand it, it's not about gun control. It's not about access or any of that stuff. This was an immature, weak act by somebody who didn't know any better. And they messed up. And they could have killed several things. Because it was a high-power rifle. But thankfully, by God's grace... Nothing has happened. So what about the kid? And, and that was my question to the parents as a pastor. How are you loving and accepting your child now? Do you treat them as somebody that messed up really bad and you want them to remember for the rest of their life they messed up really bad? Or do you treat them as someone you love 
while they're trying to grow up. And you love them even when they mess up. Because you can explain the mess ups with love. And sometimes I think we forget when we want to correct people we disagree with that we're to do it in love. Yes, it's weak and it's immature and it's wrong. But first and foremost, I need to welcome you. I need to embrace you. I need to love you. I didn't want to see that kid shunned and never welcomed by his family again. Not love and a constant reminder that we don't love you. We don't accept you because you messed up. Can we get to the place where we say, you know, we may never agree, but I can love you. And I can welcome you. Even while you're still trying. Even while you're still a mess. You are still one for whom Christ died. That's where the church needs to be. A place that's really accepting and loving of one another. One more point. I know I'm out of time, but... It's not on my outline, but just to, to think through the incredible love Jesus has for his church. Jesus not only hung on the cross and fought for our redemption by giving his body and spilling his blood, but Jesus said, I don't want to just welcome you into my family as one who's been cleansed of your sin and forgiven. But I'm going to demand of my church, and I'm going to keep teaching my church that their job is to welcome and accept you too. I don't want you going through life ever feeling as though you are unaccepted or unwelcomed. You have a family. And just as Jesus opens his arms wide to welcome us, Romans 14 and 15 are saying, Church, open your arms wide and welcome sinners. The weak and the strong alike, welcome them. And so if you're here this morning, I think every hand was raised, really. I have not always felt welcomed. I've not always felt loved. This morning I want you to hear, sinner, welcome home. Welcome home. You are loved and you are accepted by Christ. And you are loved and you are accepted by His church. Welcome home. Let's pray together. Father, we all need to repent. We've all hurt one another. We've all been prideful. We've all been condemning. We've all been a mess, sinful. Your mercy runs deep. Your mercy extends to sinners like us. We thank you. 
We give you praise. We thank you that we are loved and accepted. We thank you for teaching us to love and to accept. Father, may there be righteousness and peace and joy in your house today. How good it is when the family of God dwells together as one in Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.